listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. If you would love to invite you in your Bibles to the book of Galatians once again, we will uh, look at verses 21 through 31, but it would be helpful for you to also mark, maybe find your place, in the book of Genesis, beginning in chapter 15. But today's passage is very unusual, as you heard as it was read. I would almost venture to say that probably every one of us maybe in here, we have never heard a sermon preached on this passage, me included. I cannot remember ever hearing a sermon on Galatians 4, 21 through 31. In fact, I was reading a commentary this week, and the author completely skipped this section. And it is a very unusual passage. This is not the passage that you'll see printed on Christian t-shirts. You're not going to find it on a coffee mug. You've probably never seen a poster in Lifeway or written on a Christian breath mint. It's just one of these unusual passages. You've probably never seen this passage ever posted on someone's Facebook wall. In fact, when I first read this passage a week and a half or so ago, I tell you, I was not excited at all. I was thinking, Paul... Once again, you've lost your mind, don't know what's happening, you've been in the wine too long, just not for sure. But as I spent more time with it, I tell you, I have come to love this passage this morning. So today's main idea, our big idea, it's going to seem a little strange, but I hope that through the next few moments it will become clearer and that we would fully embrace it. And so here it is, our big idea today is rejoice, O Barren one. So today I want us to walk through this passage, and I hope we will leave excited about this phrase Rejoice, O barren one. Now I know what you're thinking that the most common meaning of this word barren is a woman who has been unable to have children. About being barren, you're thinking there's there's nothing to rejoice over about being barren. For some women, this is a very difficult struggle. In fact, Marla and I, for many, many years, we struggled with infertility. And what a very difficult journey um, that was for a young married couple. During that journey, there were some things, some things I did um, that were not the best decisions ever. Sometimes husbands are just clueless. We are. Sometimes we just don't understand why they're upset at this, why she's acting this way. And I'll tell you one. Um, I had, we had great friends that we were friends with, a couple we were friends with. We told them that we were going to try to have children. About three months later, they told us they were going to be trying, and she got pregnant immediately. Well, the husband could swing a golf club, but he could not swing a hammer. I can swing a hammer, and I could care less about golf. And so they invited us over one night to eat, uh, and the goal was we were going to have supper, and then I was going to help him 
put together the crib, the changing table, uh, the swing. And man, I love that. So I love putting things together. So I brought my tools, uh, spent some time doing that there after we ate. We, on the way home, Marla was extremely quiet. Walked in the house and she didn't say a word. I thought, oh, I've done something wrong. Could not figure it out. She went back to the room that we had set aside for the, the baby, and I found her in that room just up against the wall, just kind of crouched down, just weeping. And I thought, okay, now I've really done something wrong. You know, the thing was, I had no idea how, uh, wasn't paying attention to how that would affect her. The, a woman that desperately wants a child, and, and then when you're going through that, it seems like everyone around you is having a baby, and you notice this or that, going to baby showers is difficult. When Mother's Day rolls around, it is very, very hard. So I totally messed that one up, totally missed it. But there is one thing that as a young husband I knew. I knew I was to never look at Marla. I was to never look at her after months, after months, test after test, treatment after treatment, with no result in a positive pregnancy test, under no circumstance was I ever to look at my hurting wife and say, Rejoice, O barren one. I knew that was, off, that was out of bounds. I knew. I didn't know a lot of things. I was clueless about a lot of things. But I can tell you, I knew not to do that. But here's what I want us to realize about this phrase this morning. There is only one person. There's only one person that has the right to look at someone and say, Rejoice, O barren one. There's only one. There's only one person that has the right to say that. And only God has the right to utter this statement. And how you receive that statement, Rejoice, O barren one, absolutely depends on who you believe God is. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this strange phrase, Rejoice, O barren one. But only one person has the right to utter that statement. And how you receive it and how I receive it absolutely depends on who we believe God is. So let's go to Galatians chapter 4. We will uh, be beginning in verse 21. Once again, this is how it reads. Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So the Galatians are on the verge of just jumping ship. They're on the verge of leaving everything that Paul's been teaching them behind. And they have this longing, or Paul uses the word desire, to be under the law. But what does it mean? What does Paul mean when he says those under? What does he mean when I'm under? You are under the law. Well, Paul doesn't mean he's not referring to obeying the law. He would say, yes, you need to obey the law. It is pure. It is holy. Obeying the law is a good thing. Even Christ commands it. But to be under the law, it means you are relying on the law for your standing before God. And we have seen that over and over and over again. So this is what Paul says. He says, so Galatians, answer me this. You have this desire, you have this longing within you to earn God's acceptance 
based on how well you keep the law. You're wanting to set your reconciliation with him on your good works. That's what you are longing to do. You want God to accept you based upon how well you are behaving. But then he says, do you understand how crazy that is? Do you even know what the law says? Do you even understand it? So Paul says, let me enlighten you a little bit. Let me take a little bit from the book of Genesis. Because look at verses 22 through 23. For it was written, going back to the Old Testament, that Abraham, he had two sons. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Well, the son of the free woman was born through promise. So Paul's referring back to Abraham, to, to Father Abraham that had two sons from two different women. So let's go back to Genesis 15. I want to kind of put this in context. It'll be a familiar story for many of us, but if not, I want to make sure we are all up to speak. Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. I'll read verses 1 through 6. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household, will he be my heir? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. That man, no, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven. The number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, so Yahweh, he, he appears to Abraham and he told him, listen, I am going to make you a great nation. But Abraham's childless and he's puzzled about how this is going to happen. And his natural thought was, okay, I have no children. I have no heir. So the next in line would be Eleazar of Damascus, his servant. So I guess he's the one that God's going to do this through. But the Lord tells Abraham, no, you will have a son of your very own. Shows him the sky and he tells him that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And the beauty of that is that Abraham believes, he believes God's promises. He believes God. So God creates a covenant with Abraham and it's unconditionally. Promises that he gives to Abraham. That he'll have a son and many grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-children. But time goes by, as it often does. And Abraham's wife, Sarah, she never gets pregnant. I mean, she's running to the pharmacy for the pregnancy test every month and nothing happens. She never gets the little plus symbol. They have the baby room ready. They've probably read what to expect when you're expecting, and they've watched the calendar from the optimal days 
of conception. They're doing everything they can do, but still no baby. You know what? Naturally, they're frustrated. They're growing weary. I think they're losing hope in God and His promises. So they do what most of us would would probably do. They take things into their own hands. Turn with me to chapter 16, the first six verses. Now, Sarah, or, or Sarah, it will become Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she had saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to you to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So Abraham, he takes Hagar per Sarah's request, and, and she conceives. She gets pregnant. So after Hagar's belly starts showing, she does what children often do to taunt others. You know, she did the nanner nanner boo boo, I'm pregnant and you're not. And if you've ever heard the phrase, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, this is where that phrase had to get its origin. So Sarah, she's livid. And she tells Abraham what's happened. And like most men, Abraham cowers. And he says, well, she's your servant. You deal with it. And so Sarah tells Hagar to pack her things and go. Hagar leaves. But eventually the Lord goes to her and she returns back. And she gives birth to Ishmael. So now Abraham, he has a son. And he has an heir. And God's promises... He thinks can now come true, but God says, not so fast, Abe. That, that was not my plan. I work and I deal with my people, with you, according to promise, not your works. So the next chapter, God's going to say to Sarah, rejoice, O barren one. Look at chapter 17 in Genesis. Flip over and find verse 15. Beginning in verse 15 of chapter 17 in Genesis, he says, And God said to Abraham, As your wife Sarai, as for your Sarah, your wife, she shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. 
Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac. Whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So we don't need to forget, Abraham's a hundred years old. Sarah is 90, and she is far past the ability to have a child. So how can God look at this woman and say, Rejoice, O barren one? How can God tell a barren woman to rejoice? Well, Abraham and Sarah could rejoice because of God's covenant, because of his promise that it would be fulfilled because of him, because of Yahweh, and not on their works. That's how a barren woman can rejoice. So Abraham and Sarah, they could rejoice because God's promises, they're going to come through promise and not performance. Abraham and Sarah could rejoice because their relationship with God was all about what God was going to do for them, not what they could do for God. Sounds a lot like Galatians, doesn't it? So turn back. Turn back to Galatians chapter 4. Let's see how these two things relate. So what Paul's going to do, he's going to go through a series of comparisons now. So Galatians chapter 4 beginning at verse 22 again. Let me back up and read that. He says, So, for it is written that Abraham, he had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free, which we just read. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman was born through promise. So Abraham, he has two sons, one from a slave woman, Hagar, named Ishmael, and one from a free woman, Sarah, named Isaac. Two sons, one from the free and one from the slave. One is born in ordinary, natural ways, according to the flesh, Ishmael. But one, one is an absolute miracle. And it's, it's not according to what they could do, it's according to the promise Isaac. So keep in mind, if you were a Jew, you claimed your father as Abraham. And Abraham, you would come from the line of Isaac. You were a child of the promise of the son of a free woman. That was your heritage. But keep reading. Look at verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically or or maybe through typology. These women are two covenants. One from Mount Sinai, bearing children of slavery. And all of a sudden, if you're a Jew, your ears just perked up. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar 
is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Now you're really wondering what Paul is doing. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, the one above is free. She, she is our mother. So two sons, one of a free woman, one of a slave woman. One born according to ordinary, natural ways, according to the flesh. One born through a miracle, through faith, according to the promise. And so what Paul does, he attaches the covenant of Mount Sinai, the law, but here's where he goes. He attaches that to Hagar. This would have gotten the attention of every Jew in there. They would have objected to this. They were the children of promise. They were the people of, of Sarah and Isaac, not Hagar and Ishmael. So Paul takes it a step further. He says, not only are there two women and two sons, and not only are there uh, two covenants, there's also two Jerusalems, one earthly and one heaven. So what Paul does, he connects Hagar to flesh, to the old covenant of works, to the present day Jerusalem. Hagar is the slave woman, and she is the picture of the law. But then Paul, he connects Sarah to the promise, to the new covenant of grace, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Sarah is the free woman, and she is the picture of grace. So what Paul is doing, he is painting two pictures. He is painting two pictures of how you can actually get to God. Two ways of how you can have God's acceptance. And this is what people were after. Two ways of how you could be right with Yahweh. And one, he says it's under the law. And you have the freedom to go that way. But just know you're following Hagar. It's a covenant of works. It's slavery. And if you can keep the law with perfect precision, then God will absolutely perfectly accept you. Under the law, you must be perfect. Because the law demands perfection, not progress. But he says there's another way. The other way is under grace. And that is Sarah. She's a covenant of grace, of freedom. And then it's not based on anything that you do. You don't come to know God. He comes to know you. And God sets His irresistible grace on you. And He grants you the faith to believe and to obey. And it's all about God's promise and not your performance. It's always about what God does for His people, not what His people try to go and do for Him. It's all about finding our joy in his works, and not ours. So then he quotes Isaiah 54.1. And here's where he gets to that phrase in verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So why, why is the barren one supposed to rejoice? How? How can a barren woman rejoice? 
first of all, we have to make sure that we notice that Paul is not just talking about women who are unable to have children. Paul is saying it is those who recognize that they are actually barren spiritually. So Paul's been painting a picture of two different groups of people. One group, they, they look at this and one group has no need for God because they think they are okay. They are moral and they're good. They can do things on their own. And Paul says, then you're Ishmael, you're Hagar. You know what Ishmael was moral? He was good. But he was always going to be a slave, nothing more. Not all the works he could ever do for his father could make him a free son. He could try and he could try and he could try, but he would never be a free son. But the other group, the other group is one that sees their need for God because they know they are incomplete. They are barren. They know I can't do this on my own. They are Isaac from Sarah. You know the thing about Isaac? He is always going to be an heir. He is always going to be a free man. He did nothing to earn it, and he could do nothing that would ever take that status away. So by sleeping with Hagar, Abraham was choosing to rely in his own power. He was choosing to live according to his own strength. He was trusting his own ability to gain a son. You know what he was? He was acting in faith, but it was faith in himself. And Abraham was trying to be his own savior. But the gospel is just the opposite of that. So let's keep reading the last three verses in chapter 4. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, he persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. But what does scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of a slave woman shall not inherit with the son of a free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So Paul's referring back to a time when Abraham was hosting a festival, a feast, to to celebrate the weaning of Isaac. Ishmael's older and Ishmael begins ridiculing his young brother. But I think this is what Paul is saying. There will always be strife. There will always be strife between living under the law and living under grace. Because you're either living under the law or you're living under grace. There is absolutely no moral neutral ground. It's one or the other and they will always be at odds with one another. And here's the truth. You and I experience this battle in each and every moment of each and every day. We're constantly faced. Am I going to live under grace or am I going to live under the law? You know, when you're living under the law, we're trying to live in our own strength. We're trying to live in our own power. We're trying to take things into our own hands like Abraham and Sarah did. And when you hear the words... Rejoice, O barren one. I think it causes anger and frustration, resentment. Because you're not trusting God in His promises. And you will constantly wonder why God is not blessing your efforts. 
The truth is, that's when we are trying to be our own Savior. And we don't see our own barrenness and our need for Christ. But when you're trying to live, and when you are living under grace, man, you recognize, listen, I can't do all of these things in my own strength and own power. And I might try, but man, there is no way I could make things work the way that they should. When you're living under grace... You know that you can try and you can try and you can try. But in the end, it'll never be enough. It doesn't mean you don't try. But it means that you put forth the effort that God is calling you to do. But you trust in Him for the results. And when you hear the words, rejoice, O barren one. Those are the sweetest, most comforting words that you could ever hear. Because you're trusting in the only one who can say that to you. Because He's the only one that can actually Make a difference. So I would ask us all, as I have wrestled with this, where in your life, where in my life, are you having a hard time trusting God and His promises? Where are you growing weary and and where are you losing hope? Perhaps it is for a child. Maybe it's for a husband or wife. Maybe it's a friend to relieve the loneliness Maybe a cure, longing for a child, a mother, a loved one to be healed. Maybe for your husband, your wife to finally be faithful. Or to show some effort to save your marriage. Maybe for seeing some results of all the things you're trying to do as a parent. And you want to know, am I making a difference? Maybe it's that son or daughter that you've prayed for and prayed for to come back to the Lord. Or maybe it's just like you feel like you're in that constant cycle of, of poverty and you're ready for that cycle to be broken. Listen, there are many, many times where you and I will be faced with, are we going to live under grace or are we going to live under the law? Are we going to live trusting God and His promises or are we going to try to take things into our own hands and trusting in ourselves? God is calling us, He's calling you, He's calling me to fully trust and rely on Him this morning. And in every single moment of every single day, recognizing our own barrenness and our lack of ability. And you know the beauty is when we're in that place, that's where you find trust. Because only God, only God has the right to look at you and say, Rejoice, O barren one. But how you receive that statement, rejoice, O barren one, is absolutely depends on who you believe God is. So the challenge this morning would be, do you recognize your need? Do you recognize your need, our own barrenness, that yes, we are to do the right things, but it would never be enough. We can never work things out as they should. Taking things into our own hands, in our own power. Well, the challenge would be to reach out and to trust God to work. Because those words rejoice, O barren one. What a comforting phrase it is to know that we are not left in this alone. There is one that knows us and loves us and has our best interest in mind. And when we recognize our barrenness, That is where we learn to trust. And only God, only God has the right to say that to you.
But how you receive it absolutely depends on who you believe God is. So church, I would say rejoice, O barren one. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.